While you're turning in your Bibles to the text for this morning's message, Ephesians chapter 2, verses uh, 8, 9, and 10, I want to say a word of thanks to all of the musicians for reminding us this morning of the great love of God, that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And I want to remind people, no matter what brings you here today, no matter what you're going through, God loves you, God cares about you, and you are not alone in whatever it is that you're going through. And sometimes we just want to say the obvious so that nobody goes away from here feeling alone and without God's love. And on that theme, I want to read from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10. And uh, yes, I've preached from this text many times in my years as your pastor, and I probably will many more, because in my mind, this is one of the key texts in all of Holy Scripture, and I want us to hear them aloud and think about them together this morning. So I invite you to stand as God's Word comes among us. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are what He has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We are uh, in a sermon series as a part of our setting sail, uh, thinking together about this theme. Because of Christ, everything has changed. We follow Christ. It's an important theme. It's an important concept for us to grasp, and it always invites the question then, if Christ has changed or is changing everything in my life, in our lives, if we follow Christ, what is it that motivates us to follow Christ? What is it that motivates us to be open to allow Christ to work that transformation in us? And the answer, by the way, is not guilt. We don't We don't grow to be like Christ because we feel guilty. That's not the best motive in the world. The answer is not God's anger or God's wrath or uh, God's threats. God doesn't work that way. The answer, why we're motivated to become like Christ, is God's kindness, God's love, God's grace, God's salvation. Did you read, did you hear what the scripture said? For by grace you've been saved through faith. And that's not your own doing, it's God's gift lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So it's important not to get that mixed up, not to get that flipped around. For example, some people think that we are motivated and we, through our good works, cause God to love us. That's not the way it is. It's the other way around. Our good works are not the cause of God's love and salvation. Our good works are the result of God's work and salvation in us. And I like the way Tim Keller has put this. Uh, Religion, vaguely speaking, all religions say, I obey, therefore I am accepted. But Christianity says, I'm accepted, therefore I obey. I obey out of gratitude. I obey out of joy. And there's all the difference in the world between that grace and works kind of theology. And we get this mixed up uh, a lot. Uh, For example, you can so emphasize God's grace 
that you can leave the impression and live with the impression, I can live any way I want because after all I have fire insurance. That's not right, but neither is it right to say, well, I have to work to keep my salvation. I have to work to, to be loved by God because that creates a, a pride and a self-salvation that is not right either. One of the most important phrases in this passage that I read earlier is, we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are created by God in Christ Jesus for the purpose of good works. That's why we're created. And uh, I like the way the old King James uh, put it, that we are created in Christ Jesus for good works, that we, that we may walk in them, that we may walk in those good works. Isn't God good? God creates us. God creates the good works, and God creates the way for us to walk in them. God does all the work, makes all the provision. And then, of course, uh, this is the way the message puts that last verse, or part of that last verse uh, in the message. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does, the good work he has gotten ready for us to do. Notice the phrase, he creates, creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join God in God's work. Joining God. What, a, what an amazing concept that we're not out there by ourselves trying to do something for God, hoping that he'll f- somehow see us and bless us, but we are joining God in God's work. In my mind, one of the most helpful phrases that Henry Blackaby ever gave us in the uh, Experiencing God uh, book and teachings was this simple concept that the Christian life is finding out where God is working and joining God in that work. Isn't that simple? Isn't that profound? We don't try to generate good works to get God to like us, but we find out where God is working and then we join God in that work that God does. Joining God. Simple but profound concept for spiritual growth. And so we dig deeper. How do we join God? How do we go about joining God in God's work? Well, this is an area of the Christian life called Christian practices, or, if you prefer, spiritual disciplines. John Wesley liked to call these the means of holiness or the means or methods of grace. He was not saying, nor is Scripture saying, these are ladder rungs as we climb self-salvation. He instead, and Scripture instead, is saying that these are ways that we prepare ourselves to join God in God's work. These are spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines that get us ready to join God. Now, interestingly enough, in the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul embeds some of those Christian practices. He doesn't make one big list. Uh, In fact, he embeds these in all of his letters. But embedded in the Ephesian letter are some of these Christian practices or spiritual disciplines. I put some on the screen. Baptism, Ephesians 4, 6. Seeking God's will, 5, 17. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, 5, 18. Fellowship and worship, 5, 19 and 20. Prayer and Bible study, 6, 17, and 18, and you can probably find others. And those are not an exhaust, that is not an exhaustive list. 
But I want you to look at those, and I want you to think about those. I want you to think about what those have in common. What's the thread that runs through these spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines? One obvious one is that the assumption is that God creates us for an intimate relationship with God's self. That God is not interested in an institutional relationship with us where we join church just like we're joining some civic club or civic organization. God longs for personal, intimate connection with us. And the other assumption in these listings of spiritual practices is that God is active in our world and that God is active in my life. God isn't distant. God is involved in the world and God is involved in my life. And that means that I can pray and discern God's will and I can find God's will for my life as I grow spiritually. And if you think about that, there is that progression. There is baptism, which marks the beginning of this intimate relationship with God. And then the seeking of His will, being filled with the Spirit, the importance of fellowship and worship, the importance of Bible study and prayer, all of those things getting us ready to join God so that we might experience grace. And I tried to think of a way to illustrate this dance between grace and works, this dance that is described in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, to make sure that we weren't using this list as rungs of a ladder to earn our salvation or to earn God's love. And the best analogy I can come up with is a trellis or a rose arbor. Most of you have seen these. Many of, these, many of you have these in your yard or you've seen them in parks. A rose arbor or a trellis is simply a structure, humanly made, that allows a framework for the supernatural growth of the plant or the ivy or the roses. Something that humans make to provide a structure so that the beauty and the fruit of that, of that plant might be shown and demonstrated and, and appreciated. Now, we can't do God's part. We can't make the plant grow. We can't do photosynthesis on our own. That's God's. But God counts on us to build the trellis. So it is spiritually. We can't do God's part. We can't save ourselves. We can't forgive ourselves. We can't earn salvation. We don't have to. Jesus Christ paid for all of that. But we are to build a trellis of Christian practices. We are to build an arbor of Christian disciplines, creating a framework on which the supernatural, the the changing power of Jesus can be showed off in our lives so that Christ changing us can be demonstrated and made real to everyone around us. We join God in this manner. We cooperate with God with the supernatural work of grace that he's doing. Uh, I'm borrowing from a Lutheran bishop uh, when, I, when I make this statement. I'm paraphrasing, I guess I should say. Uh, the most important Christian practice is not the vow of poverty. The most important spiritual discipline is not praying five times a day. This Lutheran bishop said, the most important spiritual practice is just showing up. 
Just show up. Show up when others need you. Show up each day and be available to God. And say, God, what do you want of my life? What is your will? Show up every day and spend time with God. Show up every day and be attentive to God's presence and God's word. God working in the world, maybe even through unpleasant things. The most important spiritual practice is the practice of showing up. Just show up and say, God, here I am. Here's my trellis. Here's my rose arbor. Grow something useful on it today. Now, I've thought a lot about this whole area of spiritual disciplines, and because of Christ, everything has changed. And you know, one of the things that Scripture is very clear about is that Jesus Christ is so epic. Jesus Christ is so mountaintop important. Jesus Christ is so, so supreme that one of the reasons that Christians get miserable in our journey is when we try to take that epic Jesus and make him secondary. When we take the most important reality in our lives, Jesus Christ, and try to make him secondary, we get miserable and we get muddled. Miserable and muddled. Confused. Discouraged. Directionless and cold. The only place Jesus fits is first. The only place Jesus works is first. Imagine what would happen in this place if we all became obsessed with showing up, being available to be God's trellis. Imagine what would change in this place if each one of us became obsessed with joining God. Imagine how this place would change if we each became obsessed with allowing, through Christian practices, Jesus Christ to change anything and everything in our lives. It's a tall order, but when we don't do it, we just get miserable and muddled. Amen. I want us to think together for a moment as we move to the Lord's table about the mystery and beauty of this meal. As I mentioned earlier, uh, all over the world today, this is Worldwide Communion Sunday. Followers of Jesus are joining hearts and hands to share a common meal, putting aside our differences of doctrine, our fine points of, of church teaching, and uniting around the crucified Christ who gave everything for us. When I was in Ukraine a few weeks ago, uh, the church where I preached, our partner church, was celebrating communion. And I have to tell you, it was a powerful experience. When I took that bread to my lips, I was very cognizant of the fact that we truly are a global family, that we belong to each other through Jesus Christ. And I was privileged to be served communion by Sergei, 
our student that we're sponsoring through our mission giving. And what a privilege to receive the cup from a man who has suffered so much, fled the eastern Ukraine, traveled to the west to live the gospel faithfully under suffering and persecution. What a privilege to learn from believers everywhere and to celebrate the meal of Jesus Christ. We invite everyone here this morning to participate. We invite you to ponder deeply the mystery of what Jesus said when he, when he took the bread and he broke it, what Jesus said and what he meant when he took the cup and he gave it to his disciples. This is about Christ's sacrifice, giving everything that we might be saved and forgiven. God's love that knew no limits. God's love that wouldn't stop. The sacrifice of love that we celebrate today, we are here as global Christians because of what Jesus has given to us.